0: The Many Secret Lives of Walter Mitty was redone some years ago with Ben Stiller. It was so hilarious. I love this scene where he's, uh, well, he's a photojournalist, and he's in search of this elusive um, photographer who's somewhere in the Himalayas, and he catches up with him looking for an even more elusive snow tiger called the ghost cat. And, um, and there's this line, he says, They call the snow leopard the ghost cat, he said, beautiful things don't ask for attention. Beautiful things don't ask for attention. That's the ghost cat. There's a ghost cat at First Presbyterian Church. I see it every now and then. And it's, it's the very heart of what makes community possible. This church has been here for 167 years. That's a lot of reconciliation, person to person. What is that thing? What is that ghost cat? What makes community, persevering community, a communion of saints, a holy Catholic union, a a universal church, what makes that expression? Life on life, flesh on flesh, what, what makes it possible? The answer is humility. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 12, which teases out how sometimes we have to look a little bit more at ourselves in order to think a little bit less about ourselves. Romans chapter 12, it says one through three in your bulletin, I'm going to go through verse eight, so if you've got a Bible, please take it out, take a look at it, and, uh, or pull it up on your phone. We're going to be going through these, this um, one section at a time. Hear God's word this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God... Having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. Let's pray. God bless us now through this word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives, we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, I saw this uh, newspaper article in the, in the sports section, and it had it an had 18-year-old kid, very talented 18-year-old kid, with orange cones spilled all around him. And he was a new running back for, for this, uh, this college team, and had made a, lot, a big stir in the community, and, um, and he said, uh, he was quoted as saying this. He said, you know, I don't need drills. I just need the ball. <laughs> I thought, oh, wow. That coach, that coach has quite a challenge ahead of him. You know, we all have abilities. We all have different gifts and talents. And they're either going to work for us or against us. Uh, There's really no middle ground. They're going to work for us or against us. Some years ago, I was talking with somebody about uh, needing uh, to forgive someone else. And and this person said, I'm just not interested in that. Oh, okay. That's what my thought was. I just thought, oh, oh, I see. Oh, you can do that. You just sort of say, well, I know I'm called to forgiveness, but I'm just not interested in it. You know, that doesn't pass this test, the test of what if everybody did that. If everybody just said, I'm not interested in that, like the things we're called to, to develop Christian community, nothing would hold together. No marriage, no business, no church, no family, nothing. Humility is considered the foundation of all the virtues because it confronts the greatest enemy, the greatest sin that you and I have that keeps us from life together, and that is pride. And pride is just simply a lack of submission to God. And so when you're called to follow Christ, you're called into community because this one another business is one of the ways that God forms you to become more, submission, more submissive to him, more capable of reciprocation, more capable of the kind of relationship that can go the distance, more capable of the kind of relationship that you want to have. So the, the redemptive work of God that he's doing in your life is expressed outwardly, but in expressing it outwardly, it comes back again and makes you more capable of relating better to God. So sometimes we have to think about ourselves a little bit more in order to think our, of ourselves a little bit less. That's what this Romans 12 passage is all about. It's kind of ironic, but that's what we're talking about. We're going to talk about three I statements that can help we survive and thrive three i statements that help we grow and survive and thrive i have not arrived that's the first one and we're going to look at uh, verses one and two for that i need we okay i'm taking a little poetic license all right so grammarians grammatical police out there relax okay it's going to be okay you're going to make it through this i need we all right i know it's i need us i need we and then we needs me. Those are the three. So I need we is three, verses three and four. And then we needs me is verses five through eight. All right, so here we go. I have not arrived. You already knew that. But I'm talking about you too, okay? All right, so you got to say that with me. I have not arrived. When, when you hear me say that we're somewhere between zero and 100%, I say that every now and then. That's an attitude, it's a posture, right? What it is, is it, it's, it's saying, you know, I'm among those who have not yet arrived. And it's, it's the kind of attitude that makes us less competitive and more gracious. You're a competitive bunch. I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. You're a competitive bunch. Maybe I should just close in prayer. That's just kind of like the confrontational moment of the sermon, you know. You know, we, we, we want to look good. We want to have the wrinkle-free life. We want to make sure that everybody uh, thinks well of us. And as a result, we don't encourage one another. And as a result, more to the point of this, I have not arrived, we, we discount ourselves from being among those who have opportunity grow. You see? We're somewhere between zero and 100%, and that's a great attitude. We're all somewhere on the way up to Jerusalem. None of us is sitting on the top of the hill of Mount Zion going, yep, I'm here. The rest of y'all, you need to come up here. You know, I've been at this a while, and I'm good, right? I've not arrived helps me think, not less of myself. You've heard this a, a number of times, but this is kind of the sermon where we really kind of unpack that Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so I have not arrived as not to, not to poo-poo yourself, not to think lowly of yourself. It's to say, you know, there, there are ways that I can adopt an attitude that says, I have, I, I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I could be. It's not to look down on yourself, it's just to say, let's think of ourselves a little less. To, here's what's happening here. I appeal to, therefore, by the mercies of God. All right, so w- when you read Scripture, you've got to look at these kinds of statements. On what basis am I making my appeal to you? By the mercies of God. This entire passage, what I'm about to say, hinges upon the mercies of God. You see? So when you see somebody else stumble, you, you, if, if if you're somebody who... Is building your life on the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. When you see somebody else stumble, do you laugh at them or do you laugh with, laugh with them, right? You know the difference. When somebody stumbles, it's like, it's funny sometimes, right? If They don't get hurt. And sometimes when they do, you know, I mean, it's, it's terrible, but that's human nature. But are you laughing at them or are you laughing with them? It's like, oh, yep, I can identify with that. That could have been me. That could have been me. I did that last week, right? You know, I think about when I think about this, um, some being somewhere between zero and one hundred percent, and identifying with those who are somewhere between zero and one hundred percent. When I think about those who are are good at laughing with rather than laughing at, I think of a junior high teacher. All right, a junior high teacher that got no response. I mean, what are you doing behind your mask? I mean, think of your junior high teachers. Think of you in junior high and your teacher and what they had to put up with. Maybe we have some junior high teachers in the room. They are amazing people. Have you noticed that? I mean, can you imagine every day you're waking up to these squirrely bunch, and they smell terrible, and they don't know it, right? I mean, the high, schools, high schoolers, at least they know it, right? And, and like so, so like the junior hires, you, you just gotta love them. They're so enthusiastic, and like you could almost motivate them to run through that brick wall, right? It's like, you get them all excited, right? I mean, this is, this is the upside of junior hires. They are just such a lovable bunch of tiggers, right? You know? Junior high teachers, the ones who don't get ground down but shined up, those, those teachers, you know the difference, you remember the difference between your junior high teachers that were shiny and the ones that were grumpy, right? The ones that were shined up by the process, those teachers identified with their charges. Those are the teachers who said, you know, that used to be me. That used to be me. I, I marveled at my when I was uh, in my late 20s. I used to I had a couple of mentors that I I watched the way they were so magnanimous towards people, especially difficult people. And I thought, they've been doing this 30, 40 years. How did they do it? How did they do it? I mean, it, you know, in in your work, you probably have exposure to a lot of different kinds of personality in the church. You know, for for my experience, watching a pastor dealing with this three hundred and sixty degree different variants of expectations and personality profiles, and you know, I'm watching and I'm saying, how did that person develop that? Well, they recognize that when they were when they were looking at somebody who was misbehaving, it's like. It's not like I can't believe it. It's like, oh, yeah, it takes one to know one. When you hear me say something like, uh, and this is a a phrase that I developed at at, at one point, it was like, sometimes it's me. You've heard me say that before. Sometimes it's me. You know, see, (laughs) that's a personal check on that. When I'm looking at somebody, I'm saying, you know, that's human nature kind of gone awry. I have to check myself and say, you know what, sometimes that's me. There's a famous expression about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, the problem with a living sacrifice is what? Have you heard this? It keeps crawling off the altar, right? You're not there yet, and neither am I. When I see selfishness, when I see someone who's overly opinionated, when I see someone taking too long to turn right off a busy road, right? You've done this, right? It's like... You're making a career out of turning right into your driveway. right? Sometimes it's me. I've not arrived. Bonhoeffer said this, If my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sin of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own. The first statement, I have not arrived. We're somewhere between zero and 100%. Continue to offer yourselves by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God as a living sacrifice. Second, I need we. That's a humbling thing. Talk about humility, right? It's a humbling thing to say, I need we. It takes humility to admit, I need we. You used to think that, uh, that manhood was about, or, you know, or womanhood. You used to think that coming of age or becoming an adult was becoming independent, right? Independent. Personal autonomy. Not needing anybody else around me. And maybe there's a phase of life where you sort of have to self-differentiate a little bit. And I understand that. I worked with teenagers for a long time and saw that. Sometimes, you know, there's a little differentiating that's going on. But you know you're really growing up when you can receive counsel, wisdom in the counsel of many. With many counselors, plans succeed, Solomon said. You and I need people around us to stay the course, and I want to talk about two different key ways that you and I need people around us. I need we in two different ways, okay? Verses 3 and 4 says, each of you uh, needs to think of yourself not more highly than you ought to, but not more lowly than you ought to. It says, think of yourself with sober judgment. You know, humility is not, oh, shucks, you know, low is me, you know, Eeyore, oh, well, I guess, I, I guess I'll come to the party. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, it's thinking of yourself with sober judgment, not high, more highly, not more lowly. But each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. You know, um, so each of us needs to be accountable. We need accountability. That's what it's saying. It's saying, look, you're part of a body. Verse 4 goes on. It says, you know, for for as in one body we have many members, the members do not have all the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We're accountable to each other. So that's the first way. The first way we we need we. I need we. We need to be accountable to each other. One of the most famous crash and burn moments uh, of any televangelist is who? Jim Baker, right? Now, when I was coming of age, Jim Baker went down in flames, and it was it was. A, a, actually, a really profound because people trusted and they loved this guy. He had a lot of charisma, and maybe you just thought he was cheesy. But look, he had a huge following, and he really discouraged people because a lot of people trusted him. You know, there, there are people I see operating in Thomasville. I see people I see operating in my life outside of Thomasville. People who are um, in the church. People who are in business people who are doing all various kinds of ministries who have very little accountability. And that is not good. And if you know somebody like that, you better get in their life and come alongside them. It's not good. You know, we often hear somebody say, like, I can't believe that happened. How could something like that happen? You know, this person was such a great, or, you know, he was right in my next-door neighbor and all that. Why why did things go awry with us more often than not it's a lack of accountability in fatal conceit a book by uh, richard dorch he quotes jim baker as saying this i've gotten so busy trying to do something great for god and for his people i totally missed the point i love the spectacular the supernatural the signs and wonders baker had the internal pressure that a lot of us have to outdo ourselves again and again and again making it about yourself Instead of about something bigger, being part of one another and being willing to be accountable. And when you start getting that kind of power and you start... You know how much accountability Tim Philston has, by the way? I mean, I just have to tell you this for a minute. This is not a complaint, but all right, it's a complaint. Uh, No, Every, every church has all these layers. And sometimes you all, I know it's frustrating. Maybe it feels a little bureaucratic, but it's also a great strength. Why have we survived? Why have we thrived? Why have we had had this great identity for 167 years? I'll tell you why. The structure of accountability. We're in each other's lives. Uh, This happened recently. I'm not going to get too detailed because there's a guilty party in this, and sometimes it's me, right? But it wasn't me this time. And uh, this was somebody who was kind of checking up on the way we do things, right? And it's their job to do it. And it was really an overreach, and it... um, after a whole lot of work on the part of one of our volunteers, uh, you know the, the expression death by a thousand razor nicks? You know that expression? Like you get sort of nicked and it's like not that big a deal, but it, then you get another nick and another nick and another nick and soon you're bleeding out, right? I mean, it's just like death by a thousand nicks, right? Well, this was sort of in that camp of a thousand nicks. And here's somebody who put a lot of time into something as a volunteer and did a great job. And as an overreach, somebody came. And you know what, I had to deal with, volu- I had to step between two volunteers and I had to figure out how do, I, uh, how do I respond to this person who's doing what they're called to do, who's bringing oversight to us and accountability to us in a way that's diplomatic, but also in a way that pushes back and brings accountability. So I said, thank you, because I know that, uh, that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and we recognize that you're a volunteer and you're doing a great job and we really appreciate that. But back off, buddy, you really irritated me today. No, I didn't say that part of it. That's what I wanted to say. But what I said was, what I said was, hey, let's let's talk about how to do this in the future. See, we've got to be accountable. We've got to receive that. I can't just say, go away, you're bothering us. We've got to be accountable. We've got to be sober-minded. We've got to realize we're in each other's lives. It's part of being in the church universal, a Catholic church, not capital C, as Elizabeth said in the, in the children's moment, but lowercase c. It just means that there's one church over time in history, one church. We're in each other's lives, and we need to be accountable to each other. Second, second way that, that I need we is, is simply, well, let me just read this to you before I'm getting ahead of myself another Bonhoeffer quote nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin now if you know people who are going without accountability especially in ministry I see that, I see it in Thomasville I don't like it, not just because I'm saying uh, I've got it and I want other people to suffer the way I'm suffering are y'all back there behind those masks, y'all are killing me this morning, come on but because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's not good. The local church, the local church makes a lot of other ministries possible, and if those ministries are not accountable, there's gonna be a problem. It's just a matter of time and human nature. We need to be accountable, and it is cruel to let people function according to just their personality and not according to team and accountability. I know accountability is a pain, but we need it. Second, sober, sober, because we value team. I've got 52 plumb lines. I think about these all the time. These are guides for me. These are principles of ministry. You may, you may be able to go faster alone, but you can go farther together. That's one of mine. You may be able to go faster alone, but you can go farther together. A former U.S. president said this, it's amazing what you can get done when you don't care who gets the credit. So, with many counselors, plans succeed. Finally, not only do uh, I haven't arrived, you haven't arrived, not only do I need we, but we needs me, right? You see the rest of this uh, passage here, 4 through 8, it talks about your gifts, and you know, my, my daughter's going through this thing called the Fellows Program, which is just a wonderful program, a one-year deal, postgraduate. You're thinking about um, your faith and your work. You're taking a year. She's with a, a, a cohort of other recent graduates. She has a mentor. She's got an internship. She's got a church. And they're thinking about things like, you know, what, am I, what do I care about? What am I deeply passionate about? What are my gifts and all of that? You, you, you need to have the categories of this. The categories that are laid out here for you. That, that there are different gifts and there are different ways to express those gifts. There are different passions that we all have. There's a social conscience that we need to develop. You need to understand how you integrate your faith into your work. You know, uh, some years ago somebody uh, ran me through the Myers-Briggs test and it really annoyed me as uh, I'm telling you all about my annoyances this morning. I'm sorry about that. See, I'm somewhere between zero and 100%. Love me anyway. Okay, so Myers-Briggs Myers-Briggs, they, they, they typed me, and maybe you all would like to sort of figure out what my type is and, and, and guess at that. When, when, they, uh, when they typed me, I said, no, no, I'm, I'm sort of both. I'm, I'm over here sometimes. It all depends, right? None of us wants to be typed. But look, all these different tools are just ways of gaining insight because when you think about yourself a little bit more, then you can begin to think about, about yourself a little bit less. Here's an example. There's a girl who had this incredibly beautiful voice in, when I was at First Press Orlando, and she thought it was humble to hide her voice. She was, thought it was uh, humbling or that it represented humility not to sing because she was proud of her voice. I said, well, you got to get to a place where <laughs> you get over yourself because your voice was given not for you. It was given for other people. That was like an aha moment for her. What about you? What are yours? You say, that sounds like navel-gazing, Tim. Sometimes you have to think about yourself a little bit more in order to think about yourself a little bit less. So let me give you this challenge this week. Here's your challenge. Five quick challenges. Number one, do something for other people. Just do it. Just go do it. Develop a habit. For example, I think everybody should be in a small group. I think everybody should be in a small group. After this sermon, you know I think everybody should be in a small group right? Everybody. And if you're not in a small group, you're probably not growing in your faith. Either accountable to a smaller group of people in a Sunday school or in, a, 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 in an actual small group, it's very difficult to continue to integrate the gospel of God into your life. And you say, well, I don't need a small group. Well, maybe a small group needs you. Number two, give credit away generously. Make A name for yourself, not through the church. That gets toxic faster than you think. Give credit away generously. Three, share power and authority. Be the author of somebody else's success. Say, how can I help? There's somebody in our church who's so good at this. just always like, how can I help, right? Develop a prayer list and update it weekly. That's number four. Number five, listen. Let someone else be in a different place without volleying back your opinion. You know, for example, it's been humbling to be in the middle, seriously, humbling to be in the middle of different opinions about masks. It's been very humbling to be in that position. It's not been a lot of fun, but sometimes you have to be there. You have to listen to people say, you know what, I don't agree with this person, but they need to get it out. Bring it. It's fine. What about you? Do you have to win that argument and a hundred other arguments like it? See, that's the kind of thing that's so easy to do and so quick to fragment. Let me close with this quotation by Richard Lovelace, who says this. Only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Now, what did I just say? He's saying, well, let me go on and, and, and you'll see. In their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for their justification. In other words, our efforts are what make us feel better, and they need to stop being the thing that make us, feel, make, make us feel better. On the mercies of God, you see, on the mercies of God, then our efforts begin to do something else, not justify us, you see. We need to wake up every day and recognize that the justification, the mercies of God are what fill your tank, And then that's the overflow out of which you live your life. Few know enough to start each day with uh, with a thoroughgoing stand upon Luther's platform. You are accepted. And then looking outward in faith and claiming holy, alien, righteousness of Christ as the only ground for their acceptance. Relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce increasing sanctification of faith. You see, you're, you're somewhere between zero and 100%, not there yet. We need each other in order to get there. And each of us needs each of you and what you bring. Every time somebody joins this church, we're different. Every time somebody joins this church, they bring something different. What do you bring and where are you bringing it? And is it the thing that's coming out of the overflow of gratitude? Or is it justifying you? Romans, Paul through Romans is saying this. By the mercies of God, bring the whole of you to the whole of us. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for your justifying work. We thank you that that's a box we can check and we can move on, getting over ourselves. Not to think of ourselves less, not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. We exalt you, O oh God. Amen.